0: Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, welcome back to Your Family Dog. This is Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here, as usual, with the terrific Tina Spring. And today, we decided to talk about the value of keeping up-to-date records and information about your dog or your cat or your goldfish or whomever it may be, because you never know when you might need them. It could be as simple as, oh, we get a chance to go out of town this week, and it would be nice for the pet sitter to have you know, this information. And so we have some suggestions on things that you might want to consider putting together in both a hard copy and maybe an electronic copy as well, whatever is easiest for you. One of the things that I was thinking of is just basic information that you have written down in case something should happen and you need to have somebody else care for your dog. So my suggestion would be to get a binder, a three-ring binder, and make a list of pages, one for food, one for exercise needs, one for medication, supplements, or health information, one with all of your veterinarian information, and another one that has your friends or relatives who can help in a pinch. And then what I do with that, honestly, it's in a 3 rig binder with all of Susie's puppy information, all her vaccination information, all that stuff. So should something happen, all you have to do is grab the binder and go. But Tina has a far more sophisticated system, and she's going to tell you about what she does for her pets and how it works for her. And the reason this came up was because she had an unfair. Fortunate episode with one of her dogs the last week that really brought home how important good record keeping is. But I'm going to let her tell you about that. Tina. Well,
1: hello. Hello. That was quite the. So some of you are, you know, friends with me in the universe, and others of you are not. We had a pretty scary situation with Marco, a dog I talk about on the podcast a lot, on the 4th of. March. And so that has really brought to the forefront thoughts that I had had kind of more laxadaisically in the past. So first, Marco just wasn't acting right. There wasn't it appeared that he was in pain. There wasn't any big major like no blood coming out of the eyes kind of thing. He just obviously didn't feel well. And Called my vet. They were fully booked. So I said, I'll do anything. I'll be there anytime you need me to be there. Please, please, please try to fit me in. I also called two additional vets in town. They had the same situation. They were full. They could not see anyone. And the University of Georgia veterinary emergency room was also not doing intake. They were full. So, thank goodness. I have a very good relationship with my vet and they said bring him and they fit us in. And what I thought was like, okay, maybe he like tweaked his back a little bit or whatever has ended up being a life-threatening condition that if we had waited 12 hours, we wouldn't have many decisions available to make. So, from that, while I was waiting for the call back from the vet, I immediately started compiling a list that I should have had Beforehand, but I haven't in the past. I've always just had it on my to-do list to do of what Marco's date of birth is, what kind of dog he is. My dog is an import from another country. And so specific issues that are often prevalent with that breed that could be of interest to veterinary staff, what kind of food he eats on what schedule, what kind of supplements he gets, With links to those products so that any veterinarian could hit a hyperlink and go look at it. And in the case of some supplements that I have that are compounded for him, there was a link to the contact information for the person who does the compounding. In addition, there were things like Marco typically walks on the left and he's not really called Marco all that often. He's called Potty Potcake or Mr. Potcake. He is muzzle trained, so he went in in a Baskerville Ultra Muzzle. I included information that he's fearful and has zero bite drive, but that he's a fearful dog and that less restraint is more. And if you just kind of point him in the right direction and encourage him to go in a direction with you, he'll go. Like he's a very amicable dog. So there were things about what his intake in food and what his normal is. There was information about things that are just Marco. And then there were the specifics of What was going on with this episode? Why we were seeking help? What was different? Because here we're still full curbside. You're not allowed to go in with your dog.
0: Ah, now that's an issue. That's kind of scary, especially when your dog is that ill. That's really hard. That's why it's doubly important, I think, Tina, to have all this information that's easily accessible easily available, easily readable, so that you can just hand it to the vet tech that comes out to your car and you're not sort of running after them going, oh, and and by the way, this, and by the way, that, because that's really, really tough.
1: Right, because you do think all those things. Like the fact that Marco's never, ever called Marco, um, that he's called Potty Potcake or whatever, wasn't on the list and it is now. Right now his nicknames are listed so that people can use affectionate terms with him if we're concerned he's dying and we want him to think he's a good boy. Right.
0: Because it's kind of like the Julie and fudge with my mother said that I knew that something was terribly wrong. It was never called by my full name. Right.
1: And if you think about it, well, like the fact that Marco prefers the ladies to the dudes right now, we didn't have a choice when we got to the emergency vet, it was two male vet students. His anesthesiologist was a dude, but when it came to recovery, The students that were working with him, his choices were Jessica, the sainted Saint Jessica, who is who took care of Marco or a dude and Marco was like I'll take the chick please J- and she loved him too so it worked it was a beautiful thing if he didn't have a choice he didn't have a choice i just wanted them to know that like dudes are going to be harder for him right and
0: these these things are funny little things and and like for example one of the things for for Zuzi is she's got this toy called Blobby and if possible i like to send Blobby with her because it's like her support her emotional support toy so, I mean, there's even little things like that. In those situations, sometimes the dog doesn't care. They're that sick. It doesn't matter. Or they can't bring in objects like that. But sometimes, but that's even another little thing. Are there particular treats or toys or is there a stuffedy that will really help your dog feel comfortable? And those things can be included. They can always say, no, you can't bring it in. But think about those things as well. What does your dog need to be comfortable
1: Right. And I mean, when I'm transporting him, I've hosed myself down with pheromone. He's got a body wrap on to try to push shock off the plate. I'm doing for him what I can do for him. One of the things that that ended up in recovery being kind of funny was that, you know, they're trying to give him some prescription diet the next day. And my dogs eat very well. And so... Um, Stephanie was with me because, you know, she's basically family. And she said, OK, he he doesn't know that that canned stuff is food like he has no idea what that is. And so the the vet student went in in the, the afternoon, went and bought him a rotisserie chicken. And boy, howdy, turned out his appetite was back. So his surgery was an emergency bowel resection with a bowel perforation, which means there was free floating fluid in his abdomen that would potentially be making him septic. That was caused not by eating a foreign body or something. It was caused by spindle cell uh, sarcoma or carcinoma, I guess is what they call it. So a tumor in the intestine that eventually caused the perf. So we have clear margins. There wasn't any um, metastases. His abdomen wasn't inflamed. So Now, here we are almost two weeks out. His prognosis is quite good. We're just going to keep an eye on things. And ideally, the surgery was curative. But at the moment of surgery, his chances were 50 50. That was as good as they could give me. And honestly, the surgeon was not very hopeful. Since then, since Marco recovered from surgery, I immediately started a new document that is Marco's recovery plan. So he needed to have, you know, somewhere between four and six small meals a day. And they needed to like, there were all the medications and all the do cold compresses this many times and do warm compresses that many times and then monitor his incision. And so I just created a document and I just created it on Google, but I shared it to veterinary staff, to his vet student, to anyone who wanted access. So In the morning and in the evening, took a photo of the incision and posted it to the document. As bowel movements improved, I used the Purina fecal scoring form to communicate how his transit time and absorption was going for him. And I probably could have been taking his temperature. I honestly didn't think of it because we found out from a culture that he was not septic. So he had a very short run of antibiotics. We were very, very lucky that we caught this perforation like immediately. Right. Because once you go septic, the recovery from that is
0: very minimal. It's just, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And you're talking weeks and weeks of antibiotics that may or may not work. Yeah. No, you were so fortunate if this had to happen to catch it as early as you did. That was really lucky. Well, I-
1: and I'm glad I didn't go, oh, I'm packing for a wedding. He's going to be staying with Stephanie. He'll be fine. I am someone who I tell people all the time, like, are you going to spend money at the vet? Yes. Get them seen and don't put it off, right? If I had to, and don't tell my vet that I'm saying this, if I had had to, I would have just been standing at their front door, banging on the door saying somebody needs to see him because I know she would have done that. I don't ever want to push that. I wouldn't do it over something that I didn't believe was a big problem and that I hadn't tried to solve it other ways. But there is a point at which I'm going to advocate for my dog in a pretty substantial way. And to be clear, the university was not accepting new cases and they accepted him because she kind of, too, has a very good relationship with the university and was like, this you need to see this dog. And one of the things I was going to say
0: is this is one of those moments where I tell people, please trust your gut. If your gut is telling you there is something wrong with my dog, trust that and make sure that your dog gets seen because it, you're right in, in, it may, it may not be something, but I'd rather have my dog. I'd rather spend the money to find out that my dog's okay than to have waited and made the mistake of not trusting that something was really wrong. And and besides that, it's, it's the same thing with kids. I tell owners this was about, you know, the children, the dogs, you know, your child and you know your dog better than anybody on the planet so that therefore you are the ones who are really going to notice when the changes happen, even if they're little. And so trust your instincts when something tells you there's something really wrong here because you're probably right and it needs to be taken care of. This is not something to, to mess with because no one wants to live with, well, one, I don't want my dog to suffer to, to start with, but secondly, I don't want to have to try and live with the guilt that I didn't do something when I should have.
1: Yes. Right. So as we've moved through recovery, being able to share the information with my vet without an appointment backs me up that that recovery from this life-threatening thing is going well so for example i totally panicked when he started getting scabs on his incision because that looked really angry and uncomfortable to me stephanie's like no we i had the vet check it out like she wanted i sent the photo to the vet specifically hey this is what it looks like today as opposed to yesterday. She said, ah, well, bring him in and let me take a look. Right. So she took a look and had my back on it. You know, it'll be interesting to see how long he has to wear his pajamas and his cone. I have a question about the scabs on the
0: on the incision. Because I just think that this is something that people maybe need to have a little bit more information on. So I've had dogs who've had incisions. And if there's been scabs, what I found that sometimes it's just, it's it's where the, the edge of the staple is, like where the staple's gone in or the, the stitches. And I haven't worried so much about scabs. What I tend to look for is, is it warm? Is it red? Is it pussy? What did they say about the scabs? That's what I'm kind of curious about.
1: So I'm going to show you. If somebody emails us that they want to see the file or whatever, I'm happy to share it. So this is what it looks oh, like. Oh, yeah, I would be concerned about
0: that, too, because of the pinkness, primarily.
1: Right, because of the pinkness, right. And then my vet looks at it and goes, oh, that's, that's just bruising. So she was like, no, it looks good. We're good. I was like, yay, okay, we're good. Then I can relax, right? So there was a little bit of razor burn, right? So I want to make sure that that's not infection, and it was no, just, it that's really thin skin and easy to razor burn. So, you know, things like can I put a little neosporin on it? Is that going to hurt anything? And, you know, all my my weird mom questions that come from having a dog in a crisis.
0: Ah, uh, but you need to ask those weird mom questions because sometimes we make assumptions like, oh, neosporin won't hurt, when actually neosporin may not be what you want to do. So, Even those questions that seem like, this seems like a silly question, I should probably just do it. Note. Because dogs respond very differently to the things that we do, or they can. And so you need to be really careful. Um, NSAIDs NSAIDs are a great example.
1: You have to be super careful with NSAIDs. Yes. And now in Marco's case, first he was just wearing a cone, so they're not allowed to lick Neosporin. So wherever I might put Neosporin, I have to make sure he can't lick it, because it's not good for him to ingest, right? which was fine. Then the little stinker figured out if he stood up, he could scratch with his back feet and scratch his incision. So now he's wearing pajamas and has a cone. And I don't know, eventually he's going to have mittens. I don't know. Like I'm going to have to put boots on him or something.
0: Have you tried putting the cone on backwards?
1: No, I have
0: not. So it goes down him? Sometimes that can make it. That can
1: prevent a dog from scratching. Given where his incision is, I can't imagine that that would be helpful. The pajamas I think are working fine, but but I do love like so. So we've tried different cones, and we've tried, like we're doing all the things. Well, guess what? I never taught Marco how to wear a cone. No, that's not something most people do, right? So having to teach him how to put a cone on when he feels awful. Well, actually. When he felt really bad, he didn't need the cone because he just slept. But now that he feels better, he needs the cone because he's fine. Stop bothering me, mom. I'll just take these staples out myself. And so now he needs the cone and he's a little like, maybe I'll just pretend I can't hear my name and just like move away from you. And he's being sweet But he's also being very clear that this is not his favorite thing and he doesn't understand why he's dressed like the Hamburglar. So I jumped online and looked at how do you condition a cone quickly? So we're doing that as much as we can, but I'm going to have all that husbandry work to do after the fact. I would also say he needed compresses which I've never done with him and he does not think is funny but we worked out that it wasn't an emergency and that I could wait for his consent and then we could do what we needed to do and he wasn't overjoyed at the idea but he allowed me to do what needed to be done and I had to dial back my own emotional you know that whole thing of like your dog is in a life threatening situation and it will put urgency. Yes, I needed to get it done, but it wasn't a 911. He wasn't bleeding out of his eyeballs. So if it took him five extra minutes to settle out and relax and offer his belly for me to do a compress, that was okay versus what in a past life I would have perhaps been more demanding and pushy and You're going to do what I tell you to do. And then it would have just been combative.
0: Right, right. And I think that sometimes we have to remember that, yes, this is a serious condition, but my dog is actually in recovery. And you're right, five minutes this way or that way probably is not going to make that big a difference in, in the effectiveness of the compress, but it make a huge difference in the effectiveness of whether I can do it or not and my relationship with my dog because I still have to care about the relationship I have with my dog I have to take care of the husbandry issues but I've got to take care of my relationship with my dog as well and is 5 minutes really worth the damage it may do to the trust that we have and so I think that you're right I get into this care mode and then it's like but hold on a second there's there's more to caring and making sure this compress is on for precisely 15 minutes every two hours, and it has to be on, you know, at three from 3:01 to 3:16. Nah, probably not. 3:10 to 3:20 is probably sufficient. That's what we can tolerate. That's what we're going to do. So I think that's a really great point, and and I really appreciate you saying that and bringing out the fact that we as trainers may do more with our dogs, but we don't do everything. We have these awakening moments where it's like, holy cow, who thought about Cone conditioning. Now, you think that after owning some, I don't know how many dogs I've had in my life, somewhere close to 20, you would think that it's somewhere along the line, it would have dawned on me to condition a dog to a cone. Because I remember our Hudson, the one thing that was really hard about the cone, I think for him, and this is when we switched cones, is that it channeled all the noise right into his ears. And he was so sensitive to that that what I found was if I cut holes in the cone, to diffuse some of the noise, he was more comfortable. And I switched to a softer cone, so it didn't wasn't as reverberating. And then we had the inflatable tire cone, which was the best and the most comfortable for him to sleep on. So you can try different things, but if those plastic ones reverberate the sound, try a softer one.
1: Right. So it's interesting, right? Because the plastic one is really sharp on his little face putting it on, but it weighs less. Yeah. And the color is lighter. And I think in the end, he likes it better than the the one that's softer. And the one that I perceive to be better, he doesn't like it as well. Right.
0: Well, the other thing, we went to a clear plastic cone, and that was also better for Hudson. With the dense plastic one, he lost his peripheral vision and it channeled the sound. With the clear plastic one, at least I could give him his peripheral vision back and then cut the holes in the side to prevent the sound. So it's
1: funny because in puppy class, we do condition to a cone. In puppy class, we do condition to a sergeant suit. In puppy class, we condition to putting socks on them, right? I teach people all day, every day to do those things. I just wasn't teaching people to do that eight years ago when Marco was a baby. So he didn't get the advantage of that. So today, actually, I'll be, after we're done with the podcast recording, I'll be going and teaching a lesson on sit-down, rollover, grooming, and handling for our current puppy class people And we're going to talk about conditioning a cone and all of these same things. Right now, Marco still has a little bit of poop on his tail. I can't give him a bath. He hates a bath anyway, but it's bothering me. So I'm probably going to be like warm washcloth, a little bit of shampoo in it, and kind of slowly working at like during cuddles, trying to get the poop off his tail. He needs his toenails cut. We're not going to have that argument now. Like, it's not the times. <laughs> My staff were like, ooh, while he was out for emergency surgery, did they cut his toenails? I was like, I don't think so. Because they were busy saving his life. And I appreciate that.
0: Right. <laughs> but that's why I always said, like, if the dog ever has to go, they're like, could you please do the toenails while she's under? But when we're in for an emergency surgery, we're not like, oh, and by the way, would you mind doing some husbandry so that if he dies, he looks good? So it's funny because
1: Stephanie's like, yeah, I do it anyway. Right. But that's like crusty old vet tech who's like, yeah, I'm going to cut toenails while they're out. It's a principle. You know, I mean, Marco does pretty well with toenail stuff when he's well. So we'll get back on that bandwagon when the time comes. I'm not going to have him digging at a nail board while he has an open belly. That's not going to work. So, anyway, w- the reason I wanted to bring all this up is I thought of some things that I will start encouraging people to do. One, Don't put off when you feel like something's wrong. If your gut says this dog is sick, go to the vet. And I know that that might've meant that I had to drive to Gainesville because maybe that's the only emergency vet that would have been open or Atlanta, but I would have done that if we didn't get answers. I had a plan for that Two, have a sheet of kind of basic information about your dog because things get lost in translation. For example... Marco had eaten at 3 p.m. on Thursday, and this incident happened on Friday. I did not feed him breakfast in case they needed to do radiographs or they needed to sedate him. Well, somehow, somewhere along the line, in the Whispering Down the Lane game, somebody said, oh, he hasn't eaten in two days. Well, that wasn't accurate. So next time, I'll say, at 3 p.m. on Thursday, he had his normal ration of food. And then I did not offer breakfast. I'll put more information on the form so that it's clearer because it's an emergency for them too. And in my case, my regular vet's fantastic. The University of Georgia, I'm talking to sweet veterinary students who are on a rotation for three weeks.
0: Right. It, it never hurts to be clearer rather than obliquer.
1: Spelling something out is just not going to hurt anything here. Yes at one point the that student and I appreciate that he asked me and I told him that I was, I was kind about it. But at one point I said, okay, the question you're asking me is on the sheet of paper I handed you. I'm happy to answer it, but you've had like Dorothy in the wizard of Oz, you have had the answer all along. Time was a big issue in this, right? And I want to have a lot of grace for him. He got really good homemade blueberry lemon muffins. I'm gonna love him for saving my dog. But some of this is it's a teaching hospital. And they have to learn too. And they're learning on my dog who's having an emergency.
0: That's always really scary, isn't it? When it's kind of like, I know you need to learn. They'll
1: learn somewhere
0: else. It's like when my daughter went in for uh, she cut her hand with a packing knife making a Halloween costume when we were living in Virginia. And I one look at it was like, oh, that needs stitches, right? So we went to the local hospital. Where they had a med student who tried to numb her hand, did it. Oh, well, it wasn't as good a job as I would have liked. And then she kept messing up the stitches and pulling them out. Finally, I said, Okay, I really appreciate the fact that you are a teaching hospital, but not now when you've tried three or four times. Anyway, but the bottom line was I will give you a chance to do this, but you can't mangle my daughter's hand in the process of learning.
1: That poor med student was like, I'm not gonna be a doctor anymore.
0: Yeah, well at least not a surgeon. Let's do something else. But I agree. There's that balance between I really want to help vets become good vets. I do. And I want them to learn. But there comes a point where it's like maybe the next dog
1: not an emergency. I mean, we're coming into emergency. So the emergency staff are who are, you know, they're learning how to do emergency medicine. So let me say, Marco's doing well. We have a good plan. Staples come out tomorrow. Now I want to talk about how to love the veterinary staff. By the way, this is the same protocol I use whether my dog survives or does not, sadly. So I have, and I am happy to share an amazing homemade blueberry muffin recipe that you can taste the love, like they're low glycemic index, they're about as healthy as a blueberry muffin can be, and you can taste the love. So once Marco was through surgery and I was cleared that we were allowed to go see him Sunday, then I, well, one, I had ground roasted up just insta potted venison to take for him. I also took a dozen of these amazing muffins like straight out of the oven to the vet student she's very skinny I'm like eat eight muffins and then give the the other four muffins to other people and I will bring more muffins she right now sitting on my desk has a little pile I got her wag the science of making your dog happy from Zazie Todd I got her the forever dog from Dr. Karen Becker and Rodney Habib I got her pheromone that she can spray on her clothing to make all dogs like her more and to feel better in an emergency. I got her the Dr. Deborah Jones cooperative care book. And I got her a book on Turks and Caicos for children that Marco is in the book as a young puppy. Right. So we'll write a little thank you in that. Oh, that's very sweet. I'll put the care package together and probably make more muffins and take them. So Sunday did that for the vet school Monday took muffins to my vet's office because they were the quarterbacks. They took the dog in, they went, "Whoa, there's a flag on the play. We got to send this dog. I just mixed metaphors. We got to send this dog to the University of Georgia." The University of Georgia was like, "No, no, no. We're full up." And she's like, "You're we're bringing him." So make space and thank goodness they did and they saved my dog's life. So my vet was very funny and said, you don't need to send me muffins. And I said, you saved my dog's life. You're going to eat a damn muffin.
0: And they're really good muffins. (laughs) All right. So definitely we're going to post your recipe because one, I want it. So two, let's post it. So that's great. And I also think too, it's nice to send, you know, the staff a pizza or whatever, but there's something about when you make it yourself, and you bring it in, that just means so much. I also have a just a real kicker of a recipe for banana bread, so we can put that that up there too. In case you have people who don't care for blueberries, we can
1: give you a fabuloso banana bread recipe. So this muffin recipe, you can, you can augment it however you want. I just do it as blueberry with um, lemon zest. It's very flexible. You can do all sorts of cool things. The recipe I got from Linda White, so I want to make sure that I give her credit because holy guacamole, you can taste the love. I also want them to look forward to seeing me. So I do randomly take stuff to my vet's office to be like, here, I'm feeding you today. And part of that is to say a thank you for all the times that someone has a case that isn't such a great outcome and that I know how hard this was on my vet and her staff. They were checking on him and have been for two weeks now. I'm sure they lost some animals between now and then.
0: Right. Well, the thing I also want to say is, is I love the idea that, you know, you take it just to bless them at times, because sometimes we we don't know when people need to be blessed. And the thing about the veterinary profession is that it's, it's very hard. And actually, the suicide rate is quite high for the profession. And I think that people don't, they don't think about or perhaps they forget that it could be that one minute the vet is in an exam room or out at the car telling somebody that their dog has terminal cancer and there's nothing we can do, and or they're performing a euthanasia, and then they have to walk out of that room, pull themselves together. This may be a client they've had for 11 or 12 years they're very close to. They love the dog too. And the next thing you know, they have to go in and do a new puppy visit. And so they have these radical swings of emotion that are really hard. And so I think sometimes if we just show up with something that is really blessing to them, can make a difference, even when we don't realize it. There are sometimes these things are just necessary, or they're nice. But they can make a huge difference, just a huge difference between turning somebody's day from being the worst imaginable to
1: actually manageable. Well, and I have sent them silly stuff sometimes, I probably need to take them silly string because I bet that would be a big old good end of the day, we love each other, cascades of laughter kind of thing. I take them food. My veterinarian, I sent, there's a really funny like $13 thing on Amazon that it's a a UFO that when you open the bubble and you push on the alien head, you can do a cow abduction. And it has lights and sounds. It's hysterical. And it's, I imagine no matter how bad your day is, abducting a cow with this little plastic UFO would somehow help you feel just a little bit better and know that someone loves you. Right. Like Colleen Pilar sent me a dragon that is in my office. And when I am having a really bad day, I just look at the dragon and I know that Colleen loves me and appreciates me and values me because, yeah, my work can be pretty, pretty uncomfortable too. So I wanted that for my vet. And it had to do with a conversation we had. I didn't just randomly send her a UFO, but it was a funny conversation and it will tickle her. And she may not even remember who gave it to her, but she'll know that somebody who loves her thought of her and took five minutes and sent her something. I probably need to take them fresh fruit from time to time instead of just baked goods. I think the idea here is not necessarily
0: that you have to take them this, that, or the other thing that you have to take them up. But I think the idea is Think about who they are, the things that you know that they enjoy, and perhaps make a, an, an effort on occasion, or especially if they've gone out of their way to really make a difference in your dog's life, to provide them with something special. And so it pays to do something really nice for them. Okay, so the points we wanted to really make were that, one, know your dog, and if you think is something wrong, take action. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Secondly, be kind to your vet they've probably gone out of their way and they have hard days. So do something nice for them that would be really be appreciated. And is there a third or fourth point that you want to make?
1: So yeah, have a sheet of general information about your dog so that you don't have to remember in an emergency. And then you can even just hand write what that specific thing that's going on is. And then keep a journal as your animal is recovering so that For example, I can go back and look at what Marco's incision looked like a week ago today and compare and contrast. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Also, in our household, there's two really amazing caregivers. Sometimes I'm not here and Chris is going to pinch it and he wouldn't know what to do. If there wasn't a schedule, if it wasn't clearly delineated, this is what's been done and this hasn't been done. And he sends me poop pictures all the time now so that I can see the poops and I can rate them on our little fecal scoring chart so that let's say Marco had some crisis and we had to go back to the vet. I have from this incident all the information. The last piece that I want to talk about is that our medical veterinary staff, Their job is to treat an injury, a disease, a syndrome, a process. Our job is to build health and resilience in our animals. And those are not the same thing, right? Right. Absolutely. My general practitioner doctor does not necessarily understand nutrition. He does not necessarily understand how to gain or lose weight. He knows a lot of things and he's brilliant and I love him and I think he's smart and pretty but some of it is out of his wheelhouse. So I made an appointment and talked to a veterinary nutritionist two days after Marco came home to say, okay, here are the medications he was on. This is the treatment plan we're using. How do we start rebuilding gut health? Because I know we're impacting that gut microbiome. So how do we start building that? Because this dog now has a cancer diagnosis. So we need to make sure his immune system is super charged to handle cancer exactly the way it did this time it did it the right way it encapsulated whatever it was it kept itself contained and allowed the medical staff to get great margins so i don't want metastases if we can avoid it so there's a bunch of there are some things that we will adjust and of course we'll be monitoring with ultrasound as he ages to keep track. The last thing, I do not have veterinary medical insurance on my dogs. The number that they gave me as a range for a quote was stupefying in my world. Now, fortunately, he recovered so well, it came in much, much lower than what was quoted to us. And I could have done what was quoted. It would not have been comfortable or probably financially wise, but I would have done it. But in that moment, if you don't have to scramble, I think that that would be a rich blessing. It would have been nice to not have the financial consideration of, can I afford to treat this? It would have been far less stressful to be able to just say, I'm going to have help and support with this.
0: Right. You know, pet health insurance, um, I do have it on both of my dogs. Um, I will say it doesn't, it's not a hundred percent. I mean, it's 90% plus there's a copay. But just like in human medication or human hospitalization, the charges can go up um, almost logarithmically. They just can be extraordinarily high. Emergency surgery, hospitalization. I just remember one time when one of my dogs was at Medet and was getting excellent care I don't have any complaints whatsoever about the care. They saved my dog's life. But I remember getting the bill and looking at this going, well, at this price, I'm really hoping he's getting caviar on Toast points, you know, for, <laughs> but for the amount it costs to have him stay there for a day. It's not inexpensive. And so, yes, that can make a big decision. So if you can afford health insurance for your dog, I do recommend it, especially if you have a breed that you can ensure when they're young, when they're really healthy, but they may have a proclivity toward, towards a particular problem, like hip dysplasia, or in the case of flat coded retrievers, it's histiocytic sarcoma. That's just endemic in that population. So, you know, I got Zuzu on insurance early before any signs of it, so should it happen, her cancer treatment will be covered. And I don't have to make that wrenching decision, which is, it's it's really hard, and you want to be able to say, yeah, I'll spend whatever amount of money, but sometimes you just can't do that. And a lot of it depends, as well on, well, you know, like we had a dog who was quite elderly, and he developed an an anal tumor, and we could have done the surgery, but they couldn't guarantee whether that would take care of it for six months or six years. And the dog was twelve. And I'm like, I'm not sure it's worth it to put him through the surgery and the recovery at twelve to maybe give him six more months. So there's a lot of reasons that go into a decision for not pursuing. Treatment, but it's nice if you don't have to make money part of that decision.
1: Right. For example, if it had been Jack, we, we wouldn't have had any choices because Jack is not sociable enough, even really sick, to allow us to do. Like, I'm so grateful that it was Marco because Marco is much more accepting of my shenanigans than Jack is. Now, that does mean I need to put more effort into helping Jack gain some confidence about all of this. But if it had been Jack, I think Christopher and I would have looked at each other and said, we got to just let him go because we're not going to be able to do any of the aftercare he's going to require. And I don't even know that it would be safe for the vet students, right? And Jack's lovely. He's a really good dog, but he's not the same temperament. He's just he's a different kiddo. So Having fewer things that were influencing that decision, I would say generally would have been a benefit. And financial is one of those. Now I have, I'm going to have to do research on like how expensive is it to insure four dogs that are eight years old plus. And it may be that I decide, okay, instead, I'm going to put that money in a savings account every month and just build a savings. There's another way to do it.
0: Right. There's a great little article in the whole dog journal about emergency preparedness. And that's one of the things that this emergency vet says is if you can't afford health insurance, put some money aside every month so that you have a little reservoir to work with. And I'll I'll link to that article on the on the
1: website. Yeah. So Marco is eight years old, right? So let's do eight times twelve. That's ninety-six months we've had him. And let's say I put sixty dollars a month in an account, that would have covered this particular experience with him.
0: Yeah. Well Thank you, everyone, for joining us once again on Your Family Dog. We hope that um, through all the little twists and turns and tales that we told, you got some information out of this episode. There were a lot of sort of circuitous routes to information, but hopefully it was entertaining and hopefully it was useful. I know that for me, I learn best through stories. And so I think Tina and I feel very strongly that we need to bring our authentic selves to you We need to let you know that we're not perfect at any of the stuff that we do. We have challenges as well. And hopefully our stories will enable you to be better owners and to love living with dogs as much as we do. Anyway, thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time on Your Family Dog.
1: Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit
0: www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.